there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man that said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus, thank you for your word. May it be light and life to us today. May we feast on its riches. May we be drawn in to its mystery. That we might know more of you in this time together today. Amen. When I first moved into the house where I live, um, pretty much every single door handle was snapped off. Um, and it took me a good two days to, to just fill in all the little holes and all the gaps and all the cracks where the wood had splintered and then screw all these door handles on. And then about a month later, I had the pleasure of having the person who'd been living in the house previous to me over for dinner. And um, at one point, during the meal, they asked if they could go to the toilet. And they went to the toilet and came back with a big smile on their face. And they said, you know, in all the time that I lived in this house, I was never able to go to the toilet without the bathroom door being open. It's a pretty sad state of affairs, right? They'd lived in that house for two years. Two years without the ability to close the toilet door. And during those two years that they lived there, that house was a shared house with other people. In fact, at one point, they shared the house with the minister who was at that church before me and his family. And then another point, they shared the house with other uh, gap year students of different genders. And they had to do this funny dance every time they used this toilet so that no one burst in on each other. So I raised the very obvious question, why didn't you fix the door? Why didn't you fix the door? It took me a box of matches and a screwdriver, and I had that door fixed. Why didn't you fix the door? To which their response was, and this, this person's not bad at DIY, right? Their response was, well, when I moved in, 
the, the minister who was living there when I first moved in said, oh, the doors are broken and there's nothing we can do about it. So I never tried. How often are we like that? How often do we do things and we don't even know why we do it? In my church, uh, when, I was, when I was there, after a few months, I asked why we always took the offering in a certain way. We always did it in a, in a very, very formal way. We always played an offertory hymn, and they would take the offering, and then they would process down the aisle to the front for everyone to stand in silence while I laid hands and blessed the offering with a certain prayer. And I'll be honest, it just wasn't like us. It was like suddenly, whenever we took the offering, we were some big cathedral church that was very traditional and did things in a very specific way. And the rest of the time, we weren't like that. So I asked the leadership team, I said, why do we take the offering this way? It isn't like us. We spend more time in our church services praying for the money than we do praying for each other. What's going on here? And do you know what the leadership team said? Every single one of them. Yeah, I don't like how we do that either. I said, so why do we do it? Well, there was a, there was a bit of a pause and a bit of a silence. And then eventually there was a... We had this member a few years ago who used to really like the offering being done this way. So I think we started doing it for them. But they weren't even at the church anymore. So we were all doing this formal dance on a Sunday and we didn't know why. Here we have a story in the Gospel of John. Another sign. We've been looking at the signs in the Gospel of John together. And it's an incredible story. Um, as we read about it, 38 years, this guy is unable to move. He's powerless. In fact, he's so caught in this situation that even when Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? He doesn't even respond to Jesus' question properly. He doesn't say yes or no. He says, oh, but I'm not able to get into the pool. And still, the text says that Jesus knew him. Knew him. It's a bit like when Jesus sees Nathaniel under the fig tree early in the Gospel of John. Jesus sees him and he knows him. He knows the story. He knows the years that that man has been waiting there. There's some richness in that text. Some people have uh, pulled up a parallel with them um, in Deuteronomy 2, verse 14. It talks about um, there being a 38-year gap before they moved on in the Promised Land as a whole generation dies off. That sense of a whole generation passing they said maybe that's the, the significance of this 38-year number. But Jesus just cuts across all of that. He doesn't wait for the man to have the appropriate faith. He doesn't wait for him to say the right words. He sees him and he heals him. Wow. And we can take great encouragement from that, right? That thing that you've been praying for for 38 years, Jesus sees and knows, and with a word he can heal it. That's pretty amazing. That's an encouragement. But it's not actually quite the point. Jesus, I think, is at his playful best in this passage, as we come to when we see in the second half. And actually, the rest of John chapter 5, I was tempted to just read the whole of John chapter 5 and just sit there and digest it for the rest of the sermon. But actually, this mirrors another passage of the Bible. Mark chapter 2, Jesus heals another paralytic the man that they lower down through the roof. And then he eats with Levi. 
Then he debates fasting. And then he eats corn and has a debate about the Sabbath. He heals. He eats with who he shouldn't eat with. He talks about some of the different things, some of the different religious acts they can do. And then he comes out with this genius saying, I think one of the most provocative and inspiring things that Jesus says. Jesus says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Wow, what a provocative statement that is, right? I wonder if we can apply that to the whole law. The law was made for man, not man for the law. Or as Paul puts it in Romans, that actually the law was our guardian to help us, to look after us. But it was never meant to be our parent. That was always supposed to be Father God. Sabbath controversies happen throughout the Gospels. They happen a lot more in the synoptics than they do in the Gospel of John. In fact, this whole chapter, chapter 5, is kind of all of, this, all of the different stories about the Sabbath, all the different conflicts about the Sabbath we see in the synoptics rolled into one. And Jesus has this incredible debate with the Pharisees. It kind of peaks with a verse just a little bit later where Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have the power of eternal life, but you refuse to come to me who they talk about. Because as you've probably picked up as we've been doing this mini-series, all of these healings of Jesus are not just displays of power, but actually they're revealing something about the character of God. Revealing something about the character of God. And I just want to pick up on this one verse in verse 17. Two parts to it. The first part, my father is working until now. Actually, the first part of what Jesus is saying is that actually the Sabbath doesn't point to itself, but it points to Jesus. Everything up to now, everything that has happened in the law, in the prophets, in the history of Israel, the temple itself, all that we've seen in all these signs points to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, can you not see that all of this points to me? And the second thing, the second part of that verse is, and I am working. And I am working. We're moving into the part of the Gospel of John where we have the profound I am sayings, where Jesus starts to say some of these things. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. All these incredible, profound things. And here the Jews straight away pick up on the implications he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And he goes on in the rest of chapter 5 to say, I am the source of life and judgment. I will speak and the dead will be raised. I will be the one to judge. Jesus, one with the father. The authority, the power of the father. My father is working until now. And I am working. You need to understand something about the Sabbath rest and you need to understand something about myself. Now actually, let's take that the other way around. We need to understand that Jesus is the source of life and judgment. He's the source of, of resurrection power and justice. And that actually we come to him to find life and wholeness. Sometimes we do these things, we get caught up in these things, whether they're 
broken door handles that we just forget to question, or whether they're ways of taking the offering, or actually, if we want to kind of pick some less soft targets, the way that we worship, the songs that we like, the prayers that we say, the ministers we listen to, the Bible passages that are our favorite, that we read again and again and again and don't take the whole count of the scripture, as the Bible says, we get caught in these ways of doing things. God has to work in this way. I'm expecting my miracle. I'm expecting my breakthrough. I'm expecting this to happen because this is what I've been told has happened. This is what I have prayed to happen. This is what I believe is going to happen. And actually, sometimes Jesus cuts across that and says, actually, you're searching. You're searching the word of God itself without coming to me. The living words. Actually, we find fullness of life in the scriptures when we find the one in whom they point to. Actually, we come to Jesus and have life. And that life works still on the Sabbath. The creative power, the work of God, creates everything that we see. Matter, time, life itself. Rhythm of six and then a rest that we see. But actually, God doesn't stop on that seventh day, Jesus reveals to us in a surprising way. Life still goes on. Every breath that we take, every blessing that we receive, every good and perfect gift, every child that is born on a Sabbath, God is still at work in and with his creation. But actually, the Sabbath is supposed to point to something. I really feel that what God wants to say today is that the Sabbath points, points directly to Jesus. There's that beautiful passage in Hebrews where it talks about the Sabbath rest of the people of God. That Moses led the people out of Egypt and they were waiting to enter the Sabbath rest. In fact, actually, the implication almost in that passage in Hebrews is that they thought the Sabbath rest was going to be the promised land. That when they are their own people, when they're no longer nomads, when they're no longer in tents, when they can rest in their own houses, that that will be the Sabbath rest. Actually, the Pharisees here, they think the Sabbath rest comes through, through keeping the law. Comes through, hang on, if we can rest into guarding the promises and commands that God has had for us, into keeping this rest day, then we will enter into that rest. But actually, church, body of Christ, place where we are to find rest today is in Jesus. Who here is tired? I'm a bit tired of the heat. Probably one of my most exciting moments of today was looking at my diary, remembering that I'm coming here to preach and thinking, oh, it's so much cooler, (laughs) this big building with these big stones. I'm tired of the heat, but I don't know about you. Sometimes I can feel frazzled and worn out in life. I can get myself so busy doing things for God. I can be drowning in the weight of my emails. I can be trying to respond to all the texts and calls that I get. Actually, I can be weighed down and tired by by the broken relationships and people around me. I've been really tired this week. Someone that I've been discipling and pouring so much of my life into has 
got himself in major, major trouble with the police. In a space of two weeks, they've managed to turn their life around and do some things that are probably going to affect the rest of their life. I feel tired. But actually, in amongst all that challenge, in amongst all that frustration, there is a rest in Jesus. There is a rest in actually trusting that this season is just a season. There is a rest in knowing that actually all the works and things that I do are just works of the Father, are just part of what he wants to do. Actually, the pressure isn't on me to perform, to earn anything, to earn his love, to try and force the kingdom of God on the world. Actually, I'm about my father's business. I'm just an apprentice. He's the one in charge of the workshop. Actually, what we learn in the Sabbath, um, the real principle in the Sabbath is actually, we don't need to just keep pushing day after day after day. We don't have to work seven days a week to try and change things, to try and make things right. Actually, God is the one who sustains. God is the one who provides. How much do we need to know that in this world, that room, with 24-hour shopping, where actually Sundays is just as much a work and shopping and busyness day as any other day? Actually, we don't need to constantly push day after day after day. We can rest in God. We can rest in what he has called us to do, who he has called us to be. Because actually the rest that we have is found in the person of Jesus. I wanted to start with that new song, Come to the Altar Today, because I wanted us to think about all that we might have, all that we might have come with today. All the ways that we might have come today. Burdened, weary, tired, broken. And actually, to just lay all that down and enter into the true Sabbath rest, which is Jesus himself. So I just want us to do that today. Um, the way I'm going to do that is we're going to spend some time praying, and we're just going to invite God's Spirit into our hearts. We're going to invite God's peace into our hearts. Let's pray. God, we can push, we can strive, we can work, we can earn. And still, we haven't been able to create life and we haven't been able to judge because you are the source of life. You are the one who weighs. You're the one who gives breath and existence to all of creation. And actually, in all that striving, we can't change our status. We can't make ourselves more saved, more holy. We can't grow independent. 
to God. Help us to enter. Enter into the true Sabbath rest of dwelling, being surrounded by, being defined by, being caught up within your son, Jesus. God, I ask that you would fill each of us today with your spirit. That we would know your peace. God, I want to pray particularly today for those of us here who may be suffering with mental health issues. Maybe actually 38 years is a significant number for someone in this room. A lifetime, a generation of struggle and challenge. God, I ask that in your prophetic sight and knowledge that you would look upon those of us here today who may be struggling and you would bring your healing. That we would leave this place changed. Fill our hearts with your peace, we pray. Amen.